This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Alex Ewell, Deputy Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for our latest update on tech stocks. We've just finished a six-month start to the year in which the NASDAQ was up 32%. That was its best start since 1983. So it makes it a particularly good time, I think, to be assessing and maybe even reassessing tech stocks. So I'm happy to be joined today by my colleague, Eric Savitz, Barron's associate editor who covers tech for us from Silicon Valley. Hey, Eric. Hey, Alex. So uh, let's just start with this. What do you make of this rather stunning first half of the year that we've had? And, um, you know, what, where do we go from here? Right. Well, so, so um, let's remember the backdrop. So we came into this year after just a simply terrible year for technology stocks um, last year. So, uh, you know, we were starting from a, 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 you know, a a down um, position and the stocks in many cases were you know, there were stocks down 40, 50, 60, 70%. So we were ripe for some sort of recovery uh, from that standpoint. Um, also, you have to remember that a lot of last year's sell-off was tied to the Fed. You know, the Fed was rise, raising rates all throughout 2022, as we know. And while it's not entirely clear what they're going to do from here, um, what we're pretty sure is that they're mostly done. Like, they may not be entirely done. We'll leave that to the economics reporters to sort that out. But what's pretty clear is that most of that is done. Uh, and so that that's a big positive for technology stocks, which tend to uh, perform better when rates are lower. Um, we've also had, of course, the amazing AI uh, boom, uh, where uh, everyone has decided that um, artificial intelligence software um, is going to be the next big thing, like for real, like not, you know, like the metaverse, but like a, a something that's really going to affect both consumer uh, companies, enterprise companies, every company, uh, yeah. sort of like the internet. And, and, we'll then, talk, and we'll talk more about that. Uh, we'll get more to that. But, but that's clearly helped, right? So some of the key players in, um, in the AI story, um, like Microsoft, uh, like Alphabet, like NVIDIA, have had huge runs this year. That's been a, uh, that's been a big um, contributing factor. And in fact, if you look at the biggest tech gainers this year, they're almost all uh, an AI play of one kind or another. Um, so I, I think that's that's part of it. And then the other thing is, you know, the economy's been a little more resilient than people had expected. You know, a lot of people thought we'd be in a recession by now. That hasn't happened. Um, you know, the we just had some, uh, just this morning, had some stronger than expected um, jobs numbers, uh, which, uh, again, suggests that, uh, well, it's not helping the stock market. It, it does suggest that the economy is... Um, is uh, is hanging in despite uh, fears that we were headed for something uh, ugly. Um, so I, I th- so that's sort of the so that so that's all contributed to this big rally in tech stocks this year. Um, I guess the question is, what happens in the second half? Um, and you know, I, I think that uh, uh, you know, I don't think we're going to get another thirty percent, uh, but I do think that uh, it's going to depend a little bit again on the Fed. Um, you know, we're seeing it today. You know, the Nasdaq's down as we were chatting about a little over one yep. percent today, and it's out of concern that 
the jobless numbers are too uh, too hot and that, you know, the, the Fed's going to have to keep raising rates. So we'll, we'll see about that. And then I think the other thing to keep an eye on is, uh, you know, we're coming up on June quarter uh, earnings. Uh, we're now just a few weeks away. It'll start uh, kick off with Netflix the week after uh, next. And then it's going to be a flood tide uh, right to the end of the month and, and forward. And um, they'll also be talking about the outlook. And I, I think um, this is a quarter when it's really going to be all about what people have to say about where we're going from here. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm not bearish per se, but I just think, you know, we've had like a huge move here and, uh, you know, a little prop taking would not be surprised. Yeah. And I think you, you mentioned earnings. Um, it wasn't that long ago, maybe last earnings season or probably maybe two earnings seasons ago now. So about six months ago where we were heading into it with these kind of very low expectations and therefore maybe ex- that, the sense that tech companies could surprise. That's pretty quickly changed. So now here we are entering um, the second quarter earnings season, as you said, kicks off in pretty much two weeks. Um and expectations are now certainly, uh, if not high, elevated. Right, and and I, I think it's uh, there. There's a sense that some of the things that have caused problems. So think about, um, say, in the semiconductor industry. So um, you know, the chip industry has gone through these wild swings where we had huge shortages, and um, as demand fell, particularly for PCs, we ended up with like a glut of chips that yeah. resulted in really bad numbers. Uh, if you want to, you know, the, 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 the case study in this is Micron, which I think last quarter was down like more than 50% at the top line. But the expectation is that, uh, uh, you know, semiconductors, which were in, went, uh, went from tight supply to oversupply are, are approaching a normal, normalized inventory level. And that should help both the chip stocks themselves. And then it also kind of, uh, uh, add some stability to the cost structure of the companies that buy the chip. So there's there's some of these things that are that have played out that really go back to the beginning of the pandemic um, and all the swings that have resulted from uh, uh, you know first the pandemic and coming out and um, and then uh, difficult comparisons and all that kind of stuff is all going to wash out uh, pretty soon and that's left people reasonably optimistic. Now of course you know, you get a little softening of the economy, things could change in a hurry. So we'll see. Yeah, no, okay. All really good context. Um, and I'm sure we'll be talking uh, on this call during earnings season, hopefully in, in a few weeks. Yeah. So um, we are in this traditional time of year, um, you know, a couple of weeks into earnings where things tend to get kind of quiet um, for the market uh, and, and specifically maybe for uh, companies and technology. I'm kind of, as a, as a journalist here, and I'm probably, you feel the same, I've been uh, happy to see that we've been getting, uh, we still had a, a good amount to write about. And, and this week, one of the biggest things to write about has been this very, uh, you know, somewhat of a surprise launch uh, of a new Twitter-like app from Meta Platforms, the parent of Facebook. Um, so for our, our listeners who haven't uh, seen that news, last night, Facebook uh, put out a new app that essentially looks almost exactly like Twitter. Um, and the company has said this morning that it's already had, I believe, 30 million signups for this app. We've talked a lot about Twitter struggles, um, and so this is coming at, you know, it's not an accident that this this thing is coming out now. So um, I was a bit surprised to see um, this moving Meta stock yesterday. Meta stock was up 3% on the launch. What do you make of that? And, and, and tell us more about uh, Meta Threads, as it's now known. 
Sure. So uh, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. First of all, um, it's fascinating to me that uh, Meta uh, has this pattern of adding new features and services largely by copying uh, successful services of other companies, right? Yeah, so remind us about that history. Yeah. So stories, which is which is uh, now a big part of uh, the Facebook experience, um, is uh, you know short videos and photos posted by your friends or whoever about things that have just happened. That's sort of an ephemeral form uh, that looks a lot like the version of uh, the same thing. Stories on Snapchat, right? So that's where that one started. Um, Reels, which is the um, uh, Facebook and Instagram uh, short video uh, um, feature looks exactly like ByteDance's um, TikTok. It's like, it looks exactly the same. Like it's uh, the same style of videos. Often it's the same content. It's very similar. And uh, they've, uh, they just copied it. It's just remarkable. And then when you, as you say, when you look at um, uh, threads, um, it looks exactly like Twitter. Like if you're a Twitter user and you go to use threads, you're not going to be confused about how it works. Like right. it's the same, it's, it's very similar design. I mean, I, Eric, I texted you last night, right? And I said, uh, or, or, and, and said, I, I opened up the app and I, I immediately said, oh my God, it, it's a carbon it's copy. <laughs> yeah, well, and that is consistent with what they've done with some of these other uh, features. Now, I think the interesting question here is, um, are people really going to use it? Like there, there have been a whole bunch of um, uh, startups that have been trying to challenge Twitter. There's one called Mastodon and there's uh, Post and uh, I don't know, there's a whole bunch of them. Blue, and Blue Sky. Blue Sky, yep. which is actually from Jack Dorsey, yep. uh, but like who was the you know founder of, of Twitter. But, but uh, you know, the, the, the thing about these platforms is uh, they kind of uh, they kind of follow Metcalf's law, right? When Metcalf's law talks about how the value of the network increases exponentially with the number of endpoints, meaning you need a big audience, right? You can't have like 10 different like Twitter clones succeed. It doesn't make sense. People go right. there because they want to understand like what they need to know, like what is the buzz? Like what are the important people or the influencers saying? And um I don't think we're going to end up in a world where there's like 10 different of 10, 10 of those platforms. It's probably going to be one. And, you know, Twitter is still, despite all its problems to fight, despite what Elon has done to the company since he bought it about a year ago. Um, it's still by far the leader here. Um, you know, there, there were a bunch of memes on Twitter yesterday of people like, uh, uh, like rushing in one direction to go look at threats and then rushing back to Twitter. <laughs> we'll see, right? I mean, it, it's, you know, to your point about uh, Zuckerberg claiming, you know, whatever, 30 million users, or it's probably, you know, by the time we get to the end of the uh, end of the podcast, it'll be 35 million. Yeah. Um, uh, but they have to stick around and have something to do. And so like when you want, when you use the app, um, one of the things you realize is it, it just doesn't have the, uh, there's not as much activity. There's not as much stuff to read, and there was a sense in, in playing with it last night that um, everyone was trying to figure out, well, should I move over here? There's like less people over here. Right, what do we do now? What do we do now? And if you are, you know, a lot, like if you think about it, a lot of people who are the most active on Twitter and then, you know, on all these other apps are there to broadcast their opinion. They have something to say, uh, they, um, and they, you know, start discussions. It's about influencers, that kind of thing. Well, then you want the biggest audience you can get, right? Like you don't want to have a small audience. Um, why would you do that, right? So I, I don't know. We'll see whether it uh, works or not. I mean, I think one thing to keep in mind is, um, so, you know, uh, Elon bought Twitter 
for $44 billion. Yeah. Um, it is uh, almost certainly worth a lot less than that now. I mean, I think it was worth a lot less than that then, right? Uh, and Elon thought so, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's say it's worth, I don't know, let's call it $20 billion just for the I sake of it. probably generous, but okay. Right. So if, if, if it's 20, if, if they're worth $20 billion and, you know, Meta has a market cap of $733 billion, like you're, you're going to have problems getting to the point, getting, coming up with a way to suggest that this is a big boon well, uh, for, for Meta, unless you think. So let's, so let's take that because that's part of what I think if you just did some interesting math, right? 20 billion if, uh, on top of a, a market value that's already 700 and some billion. So it's very small. So what do you make of the fact that yesterday, and look, we don't, we never know exactly why stocks move up or down, but well, yesterday, as everyone was buzzing about this app that was about to be launched, Meta stock was up at one point, I think three or 4% of the day, I think it finished up 2.9%. I mean, wh why, given the math you just laid out, how does that make sense? Yeah, well, uh, that I think that's a good question, and uh, you know, it's like I, I saw one uh, one analyst, uh, uh, an analyst from Wells Fargo, um, said uh, in a note yesterday that they see um, three percent revenue upside at maturity for Threads, meaning right, right it gets to it get it, it's uh, so a few years out, it's generating you know as much as three percent additional revenue. Well. We just discounted that yesterday. Yeah. Right? So, so, and, 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 and by the way, you know, they're not doing any, there's no advertising on threads yet. Uh, so, uh, and in fact, uh, I read an interview um, uh, with uh, Adam Mosseri, who runs Instagram and is kind of connected with Instagram uh, structurally at uh, the company. And he's yeah. basically saying, we have no near term plans to monetize. Okay. Um, and, you know, they have long history of this, like they've they barely monetized WhatsApp as it is. So we'll, right. we'll have to see um, how this plays out. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it, I think part of the issue here is who are the users of these apps, right? It's the, it's like people like us and, uh, you know, um, uh, analysts and, you know, media and other people who are sort of, you know, the chattering class is chattering about this. I, yeah. I doubt the average person is barely even conscious that there is this thing yet. So we'll yeah. see. We'll okay. see. I think it's a, it feels like a little bit of an overreaction, frankly. I'm sure if Twitter was a public company, um, it would, um, uh, it would, um, oh God. Um, if, if Twitter were a public company, its value would be down today, right? So you know that their stock would be down today. And Snap and Snap stock, for what it's worth, um, is down about 2% today. So Yeah, although the market's down one and change. So. Yeah. Well, one thing I would say also about the, the move for uh, Meta stock, I wonder to what degree it's kind of, it's obviously already been having quite a good year. Is this just almost serving as a reminder to investors? All right, you know, these guys still have a lot of muscle they can they can get things done, and so maybe it's just a reminder to to investors too that you know don't mess with Meta. They're still a big platform, and um, even if they don't make money on every new product, they still have enough scale to kind of control. yeah. I, I think there's you know, and like and Zuckerberg has said, oh, we're gonna have a billion users someday on this platform, yeah, yeah. which right. is like which is like putting everyone on Facebook also on Twitter. I right, right. No, Twitter is a relatively Compared to other social networks, I think you could argue that Twitter is sort of a niche um, kind of property. It's not about talking to your friends and your family. It's right. not like LinkedIn. It's not a place where you'd go to like, you know, network for business reasons or look for jobs and that kind of stuff. It's, um, um, it's a little different than that.
All right. So um, I just want to remind uh, listeners, uh, please uh, ask questions and we'll try to get to them. Uh, before we move on entirely from meta and threads, there is sort of this underlying story around the threads versus Twitter um, uh, idea, which is that, and I almost, you know, I kind of almost even hate talking about this, but I know. I <laughs> which is that Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk have challenged each other to a cage match. And apparently, if you believe some of the reporting out there, this thing is actually real and going, they are going to fight each other in some form of, uh, of a physical cage match. What in the world, first of all, what are they thinking? And what are we, you know, what are investors or, or even like us consumers supposed to think about this? I mean, it's ridiculous. And um, and frankly, if I was a shareholder of either of their companies, I would be a little worried. I mean, the the idea that they would actually go through something like this and the risk that someone might get hurt in a serious way, um, even if that risk, even if you want to assume that it's not a big risk, but it's a real risk, um, you know, the, these are these are very important human beings in terms of the number of people that rely on them and who uh, and, and in terms of, you know, shareholder, the shareholder value that they bring to Tesla and to uh, Meta, um, it's it's crazy. I, I think it's uh, it's Elon's mother's uh, Elon's mother tweeted something about how uh, this is a terrible idea and please don't do it. Um, that was funny. Like, I think Elon's uh, mother is the smartest one in this whole situation. I hope they don't do it. I mean, it's it's um, and, and, and it's also like like Elon has three companies to run, you know, Mark has like a very large company to run. Um, yeah. Really, like, should they really be spending their time like training for a, you know, like, uh, like some kind of physical battle? Like, I just can't see it. It seems nuts, but we'll save. You might, you know, we live in a weird world. I guess the only hope is that they raise, you know, in the process, they raise a billion dollars for charity or something, but uh, who knows? Um, all right. So, uh, all right. I'm glad we addressed that, but we'll move on. Um, last, this past weekend in, um, in Barron's Magazine, you and I actually each wrote separate columns. And I thought we could talk a little bit about that. Um, they both touched on AI, of course. Um, well, you took the bigger, you took the bigger, uh, the higher level, uh, approach, so, uh, which we disagree with a little bit, but uh, why don't you tell people about that first and then I'll move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I did. So I kind of titled my column, um, confessions of an AI skeptic. And it just, I went through this, this idea of, uh, how I've spent now 15 years, a little longer actually covering technology for Barron's. And we've seen so many hype cycles and just kind of questioning, you know, how do we know that this time it's different, right? We've had so many disappointments um, along the way and seen these mini stock market bubbles around things like 3D printing um, is a good example, uh, the metaverse, blockchain, you know, things where people have really gotten out of hand, things have gotten out of hand for short periods of time. How do we know this is different? Um, and just pointing out that myself, I've tried lot, all the chatbots now and I haven't really found them to be they're fun, they're, but they're still a novelty for me. So anyway, this was kind of my way of saying, like, please explain to me what am I missing here, um, basically. And so maybe you should tell me, um, well, why don't you talk about what you wrote, and you could also tell me what you think I'm missing here. Right. Okay, so let me start with, the, I'm going to do the, the, the opposite order. So um, I, I think you're right, obviously. There have been a, a long series of hype cycles. Um, um, and, you know, and you can extend it even beyond tech and talk about um, things like, uh, artificial uh, meat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
cannabis stocks and yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's like a ton like people are always looking for the new new thing something that hasn't been discovered um and you know there's certainly there are certainly signs of froth um in in people looking for plays on artificial intelligence you know you look at companies like c3 ai which i think is up 400 percent or something this year like there's there's like a there's a lot of oh no it's only 250 um but there's there's a lot of froth in the market here and people are have clearly um you know a bid up some of the leading players by a lot nvidia is up almost 200 percent and they're like the, by far the leading player uh, making chips uh, to do ai training um i i think it feels a little more to me like um, either the early days of the internet or maybe the early days of cloud computing, where we these are things that really did impact the world in a major way. And I, I think it's, you know, it, it, part, part of the problem we have here is that it's so early, right? I mean, if you, if you think about, if you want to sort of peg the start of this to the launch of ChatGPT, it was last November. It's like, right. Right. barely been a, you know, it's like a little over half a year. So maybe, maybe three quarters of the year. So it's, it's just really early. Um, and um, I think that there's, you have to look at this, I think, from two different lenses. One is uh, there's the public market, public facing piece, which you talked about, like, you know, not finding that much value using chatbots. Uh, there's some data recently that the traffic, the chat GBT in June was down a little bit from May. Um, yeah. Right. So I don't know. Uh, I will say, like, I've been using some of them. I, I actually like Bard quite a bit. My wife uh, told me yesterday that she thought... Um, she loved Bard and was using it all the time for all kinds of things. Um, and um, it, like that it's a good place to quickly get facts for things. And, and you know, that's you're not through blue links. And yeah, stuff. Bard is the Google version for folks. Bard is the Google version, Bing Chat. Uh, and there, there's actually quite a few um, experiments going on here, but it just feels really, it does feel really early. And I think one problem we have um, to, to use the pick up on the internet analogy is, um, you know, in the early days, you think about Netscape, Remember Netscape was uh, went public in 1994, yeah. um, which is really almost before the start of the internet bubble. Um, and um, you know, we probably probably many people at the time would have uh, asserted that that's going to be the next great technology company. You know, they got acquired by AOL, <coughs> so um, they were they were not the big winner, right? So I think maybe we have to wait a little while to figure out who the big winners really are. Um, you know, maybe it's going to be OpenAI, maybe it's going to be some other company that no one's heard of yet. I mean, there's, uh, there's probably two dozen um, private companies with uh, doing generative AI with a market, uh, with a valuation above a billion dollars. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so now I wrote about in particular, because um, <clears throat> about the outlook for Alphabet. Now, you know, Alphabet, which of course is the parent of Google um, and YouTube um, has been working on AI for a really long time. They bought this company called DeepMind uh, which folk has been focusing on AI. They have a lot of their own uh, internal research on AI. They're, they are clearly one of the technology leaders here. And as I mentioned, they do the BARD um, chatbot and they're inserting more um, AI uh, technology into the ordinary Google search. Um, in fact, if you go, you know, if you, if you open Google, go to google.com, there's a little, uh, little, uh, icon on the page where you can go into things thing called Google Labs and turn on a feature where when you do a search, it gives you an option every time for like a generative AI answer. So, so, okay. So with that background, and this is part of what you wrote about in the column, why is it that we ha we're having like 
investors are at the moment having this love hate thing going on with Alphabet. It's like one day I feel like maybe it's just me, but I'm having whiplash, right? One day it's a big AI play, it's a winner. The next day it's a victim. Like, isn't that- right. yeah, So, so I would say there's been sort of three phases here, right? So one was when Microsoft uh, announced their, uh, they were inserting uh, using open AI technology in Bing to suddenly, uh, which, you know, Bing is a bit search engine, it's been around a long time and has almost no market share. Um, but there was suddenly this sense that, uh-oh, maybe, maybe they're a real threat to take a little bit of market share away from Google search. And um, Google search is such a fantastic business that like a little market share is like a lot of money, right? So I think Microsoft said at the time, like 1% market share swing is like $20 billion in revenue, switching from one to the other. And that it happened that the same week that they did that, Alphabet made some AI announcements that weren't well, very well received. And there were some problems with the announcements and the more people with right now. Um, and so people, I mean, people got scared. I mean, uh, uh, Alphabet stock dropped like 12% two days after that Bing announcement. Right. And then things came right back. Um, a few months later, they announced uh, a bunch of new AI uh, technology. The, the street had a much uh more uh, positive reaction and it felt like, oh, that was, we were all worried about nothing. The most recent turn I think is a, a little, it's a little bit of stepping back and figuring out what this actually means for Google's uh, business. And one is it kind of feels like, um, like if, you, if people are doing searches on, um, for example, uh, chat GPT that they might have done on a search engine before, that's introducing a new competitor. And so now you've got essentially at least three competitors. And, you know, I'm sure there will, there will be others. There are some smaller ones out there that are emerging. So suddenly it's a more competitive environment for search. And so that's one problem. Another problem is these chatbots don't, uh, don't generally integrate advertising yet. And so we'll have to see what that means. I mean, if people are switching and using BARD over Google, yeah, uh, that's not good from an advertising point of view. And it's really worth doing this experiment where you you turn on the generative AI feature in in, um, in in traditional Google search because what it does is it like takes over the top half of the page and so the result is like much worse uh, much worse uh, real estate for advertising. Right, right. Some some analysts have uh, pointed that out and they think that it's a potential issue. Okay. Um, and the other thing to keep in mind also is it is at the moment at least far more expensive per query uh, to do it in an AI chatbot format than in, uh, than in search. And so because, you're going to have to yes Because of the computing power. That no, much more computing power is required. And so um, they're, they're going to have to spend more on both, um, uh, you know, NVIDIA uh, or other people's uh, chips and uh, building servers, et cetera, and more engineers. So got it. I, I thought it was a really good way of reminding people too that like, if AI, assuming AI is this real game changer, and we're going to see the same thing we've happened in other real game changers, which it reopens the whole marketplace, it it, it will cause you know value billions of value in value to be created, but also billions in value to be lost, and obviously yeah. that's kind of what's going on here. So. Um, Yes. So, all right. We, um, we're already uh, starting to get up against our time and we have a bunch of other things to talk about. Let's do um, Apple really quickly. Um, and we could spend the whole call on Apple. But the reason to talk about Apple now in particular is it just crossed uh, the first time ever for 
public company, US to cross the $3 trillion market value level. So I got a few questions for you. Um, can it hold this? Um, where does it, you know, where does it go from here? And um, put, you know, put this on, put this valuation uh, that Apple currently is getting in context. Right. So, um, you know, $3 trillion is remarkable, right? Now, Apple, remember, uh, we, we talked about this uh, before the show, they were the first to a trillion in market cap. They were the first to 2 trillion in market cap. And now the first to 3 trillion in market cap. And every time they do that, everyone brings their hands and goes like, oh my God, how much higher can it go? Um, and now, you know, you have people saying, well, maybe, well, how, what would it take to get a 4 trillion, right? So, um, and, and I think, you know, it's a legitimate question. I think part of the, uh, part of the question is, We'll, ha- we'll, we'll drive it there. Well, it has to be driven by growth. Um, there's no other way to, you're not going to just inflate the, you know, the PE multiple uh, until it gets to $4 trillion. And the problem is right now, Apple's not growing. Apple, um, the, the, the consensus street numbers for the September 23 uh, year are uh, for like down 2%. And th- there's a few reasons for that. I mean, the, uh, you know, the, the iPhone business has been, soft um you know earlier in the year uh they had some production problems they got better last quarter but there's still some you know concern that there's uh, globally there's not much growth in the the handset business at this point um you know and and so where's the growth going to come from well um maybe it's about headsets you know they just announced this their first entry into the uh, uh augmented reality uh market was very much anticipated, but there's general there's general agreement on the street that it's going to be a while um, before that becomes a significant market. Um, and you know, services is an area that they've really pushed hard on, um, particularly around you know financial services. They have like a savings account. They have all these other things that they're doing. Buy now, yeah. pay later. Yeah. Um, lots of that. I mean, and I would say you know, Apple Pay is uh, Apple Pay is an interesting example because. Apple Pay has been around for a long time, but it feels like it's gained traction. You can now use Apple Pay almost everywhere, and I feel like more people are using it for more things. Yep, yep. Um, there's an, you know, every year we'll get a new, of course, it's every year we get a new iPhone. iPhone 15 is coming up in the fall. I've heard remarkably low buzz about iPhone 15 so far. I'm not sure uh, why that is. Maybe it's not going to be the, um, you know, maybe maybe it's not going to be as big a, a change as some years. 14 was also not a big year in terms of um, uh, technology it added to the phone. So we'll see. I mean, I think the, uh, on the other hand, what we've been demonstrated historically is uh, being too bearish on Apple um, uh, has tended to be a bad call right. um, in the long run anyway. Um, but, but I will, I do think that, you know, the, you know, the stock is wavering here right around the $3 trillion level as we talk. And um it's it's a it's it's got us you know it's, it's trading at like more than seven times um uh sales and like 30 times earnings it's not a cheap stock and it's not growing so, so there's some challenges here yeah and check my history on this but i'm pretty sure on both the one trillion and two trillion level they it, the stock sold off after both of those before then rebounding and moving on didn't didn't it yeah, yeah and i think that's right and then you know the stock is up um, almost fifty percent for the year. Right, um, that's a pretty good year, right? So maybe the stock needs to consolidate. And um, I, I think you know we've got earnings coming up in a few weeks. Um, the expectations are for sort of a flattish quarter. Right. Um, so maybe there'll be something surprising, but I think after that, 
we we turn forward and look at the next iPhone launch, and then you know, and also the the headset launch. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I guess one point I would make is being bearish on Apple right now is not a call that it's not going to eventually hit four trillion, right? Because, right. but 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 right. So you can it's sort just, of it's just amazing fact. Amazing fact, by the way, which I think people, some people don't realize is, um, you know, we, we've been talking about AI driving te the tech sector, particularly mega caps forward. Apple has actually outperformed both Microsoft and Alphabet this year, um, they both, they've all done well, but, um, and Apple doesn't really have a clear AI play. So, and, and actually I wanted to, so we have a bunch of questions that I wanted to get to. One of the questions was just that, um, Gary had asked, with all this chatter about AI, there's one significant player missing. So what are your thoughts on why Apple has made no real announcements yet? So I think yeah. that's a great point and, 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 and maybe give us, so give us an answer. <laughs> well, you know, as you know, I, I wrote a column about this uh, right after they they did the headset launch, and you know, kind of said because they didn't they didn't at their developers conference uh, keynote where they they launched the headset, um, they barely even said the words AI, which is amazing because yeah. every other company can't stop saying it, right? Like yeah. they say it for every on every occasion, you know, happy AI morning to you. Um, so I I, I think I, I would certainly not. Uh, suggests that like Apple's just ignoring the trend. Um, but I find it curious that we're not seeing a more front and center play for Apple here. Now, remember, Apple is primarily a hardware company, right? Um, you know, they, they generate most of their revenue from selling physical goods. And that's a little bit different than, um, you know, Microsoft or, or Alphabet or Amazon. Um, so I, I, I have no doubt that they are at work on some things here. And there's certainly AI in many of the things that they do, you know, whether it's recommendation engines or, you know, almost any of their software has a certain element of AI in it. But as a direct AI play, I don't know what they're doing yet. And I think it's something to keep an eye on. I mean, I when I wrote about this, I sort of implied that it was kind of a risk for the stock. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think that it, it still is if they're, they really can't figure out a way to play it. Now, on the other hand, if you think everything else is overblown and uh, that the whole, if, you know, if, they, if, you, if people agree with your suggestion that this is uh, kind of a bubbly sort of phenomenon in AI, um, maybe Apple is the happy exception. I don't yeah. know. But it's certainly curious. It's yeah, certainly Apple curious. becomes a defensive play in this bubble, perhaps. But, perhaps. Okay. We'll so... Uh, Good. Uh, thanks for thanks for getting to that one. Um, a few other questions I wanted to do uh, in our last five minutes or so. Um, Diraj asked, are the te are tech stocks overvalued, especially Apple and Amazon? So, all right, we've already addressed Apple. Let's not do that one again. But I do. Um, we haven't really talked. We haven't talked about Amazon at all, really, on this call. So um, they're still out there. Still a pretty big company. Tell us. Uh, give us your thoughts on Amazon. Sure. So uh, there's a couple key things about Amazon. First of all, the stock has had a fantastic run this year. It's up like fifty three percent, which is more than uh, all the mega caps other than Meta or NVIDIA um, or Tesla, I guess, is uh, up there too, if you want to count them. But it's had a really good run. Um, uh, but remember, it had a terrible year last year. And, you know, th th there's sort of a couple of key questions for, for Amazon. Uh, one is, um, what is going on with Amazon Web Services? Well, you know, the last few quarters, growth has been slowing at AWS. Now that's true also at the other uh, the other large cloud players at Microsoft and um, and Google, but um, but that has been a concern. There's like this worry that something is going on. The uh, uh, all of the companies talk about their customers optimizing their spend, 
uh, which is a nice way of saying trying to spend less on the cloud. Yeah. I think that's more more economic conservatism issue than some, you know, sort of like oh the cloud business is maturing or something like. So I'm actually pretty um, pretty bullish about the outlook for AWS, uh, and and in particular um, uh, because of AI. I mean. AI models are going to be run in the cloud. Amazon is doing a whole host of things to try and um, uh, attract uh, business related to AI. They have their own large language models. There's a lot going on there. They're not usually the one that you think of first when you think about the software players in AI, but I think that, that they're somewhat underappreciated there. And then the other thing is, of course, their, uh, their core uh, retail business, um, which you know has gone through some uh, trauma. They overexpanded during the pandemic. They had too many employees. They had too many warehouses. They had too many of everything. And so they've been going through some uh, cost reduction processes. And and uh, consumer has been doing okay. It's actually they they did uh, they'll they will continue to grow that business. And I, I think they're going to be fine on that score too. And then yet the wild card here though is. Um, is regulatory, um, you know, FTC uh, chair, uh, Lena Khan clearly um, does not like Amazon. She's made that clear uh, years ago that she thinks that they're underregulated. Um, they've filed a, a, a number of actions against Amazon intended to slow their ability to do acquisitions and, um, and you know, and, and could be more aggressive trying to get them to, to shed parts of their business. So. Um, I think that is a wild card for Amazon, um, but I think overall, I, I'm still pretty bullish about Amazon, despite the run-up in the stock. I think that we haven't seen this AWS turn yet. I think it's probably a quarter or two away. Yeah. Um, and, you know, AWS is the big driver of the business here, right? I mean... You, and, and for people who haven't read it, uh, I would remind uh, them about the cover story you did on Amazon, I think about a year ago at this point, right? Uh, on right. On the very topic of... Uh, Looking at AWS um, as a real, as an even bigger business than it is. Um, I think we've had a little bit of a pause on that story, but I guess your view is that I'm still I'm still bullish, and I, I think that the you know the key with trying to figure out the you know the right price for Amazon is that while the the retail business looks bigger, and you know we we're, we're as we discuss this, we're like a few days away or less than a week away from uh, this year's Amazon uh, Prime Day right. um, sale, which is two days, not one. But anyway, um, that's coming up next week, and there'll be a lot of buzz about that. And you'll see, you know, Amazon talking about all the great you know, sales and all the amazing numbers they're putting up. But I think for all that, AWS is the part is what really drives the company here. And I mean, more than for a few quarters recently. You know, more than 100% of the revenue. Uh, I'm sorry, more than 100% of profits is coming, coming from AWS, not from your rest of the business. Right. Okay. All right. So we have two minutes. So I'm going to combine two questions here and I'm going to have to get you to give us quick answers. Uh, okay. So it's uh, one is from Ralph who asks, uh, what are the best stocks we should be considering for our pro uh, portfolio? And then Renton, I'm going to combine this, asks, how is Palantir an AI company? So, first of all, is, Palant is Palantir an AI company and should it be in that AI portfolio that people could be considering? Okay, so uh, so first of all, as we've said, it's really early in, in this whole AI cycle. So I think portfolio is the right word. You wanna you wanna have a you wanna spread out your bets. Um, you know, if you haven't bought Nvidia yet, I don't know, maybe it's a little too late. The valuation is really up there. May I might try and wait till the you know it gets down to some more earthly level. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, a couple of the co companies that I've written about fairly bullishly, one is Adobe, uh, which is, uh, 
um, um, infusing generative AI into all of its applications. Now remember, Gen Adobe dominates the market for creative software for yeah. making images and photo and websites and all that kind of stuff. They're going to make it much easier to do. If you haven't played with the apps um, that they've introduced so far at this website called Firefly, um, you should go do it. It's very compelling, particularly the photo editing tools are remarkable. I think they're doing the right things and they're, they're being smart about uh, being conscious of issues like um, copyright protection and um, and the rights of content creators. So I, I'm pretty impressed with Adobe. One that I think is uh, is remarkably overlooked, I wrote about this in a column recently, is IBM, which is like one of the like kind of pioneers in um, uh, in um, in AI, you know, go back to the, you know, uh, uh, Jeopardy uh, and Watson days. And um, people seem to think that because they sold a part of the business that had Watson in its name, Watson Health, that they're not doing this anymore. And that is just completely... Not true. It is one of the drivers for the business. The stock is actually down six percent this year. Um, I think I still think it's kind of an underappreciated play here. All right, uh, and I'm still bullish on Microsoft. I know that the stock has moved a lot, um, but with their the relationship with OpenAI, I'm pretty bullish there. Oh, so to finally on on Palantir, I know we're running out of time, but we are, we are out of time, Eric. So you go. I'll make, I'll make it fast. So on Palantir, um, you know, there there this is a company that has been focused on. Um, uh, doing analytics on large data sets for a long time. They've made it very clear they're all in on AI. Um, you can argue about the valuation, but there's no question that they are a, a play on AI. All right. All right. Well, um, we got a little extra in there uh, in the last minute. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, we, we, there was one other topic we really wanted to talk about today, which was around the future of television and how things are just changing so fast there. So we're going to have to save that for our next talk. We missed the story from last week. Yes, um, but right, and you had a story uh, on uh, on that in the magazine last week about uh, the uh, fast channels. So people should pick up Aaron's and read about that. Um, so, but that is all the time we have. Uh, Eric, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Please join us again tomorrow when my colleague Matt Peterson, Barron's Ideas Editor, is going to be joined by Tina Fordham, who's a geopolitical strategist and the founder of Fordham Global Insight. They'll be talking about the state of geopolitical risk and how investors should prepare for the next crisis. Thanks again for listening. Stay well and have a great day.